Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Marie Jnud. On today's Women on the Line, I speak with visual artist and semi-genius Atonga Tem about her experiences studying fine art, as well as her most recent work that has gone viral. She chose this next track, Front to Back by Okoko, as the song we'll feature today. What do you use as a personal bio when asked by university admin or very, very white institutions? Okay. Do you want me to answer that now? Answer it. Think on it. You don't remember? Is it not like I have a stock standard template? (laughs) See, I usually do, but I also vary it depending on who is asking the question because... um, I don't know, some people I can get away with being a little bit more radical and that to them is like a tick on the box because it's like, look how diverse we are and look how like politically Mm. open we are to like radical politics. Mm, We're so great. Whereas other people it's like, no, 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 like that's offensive. How dare you use the word black, you know? (laughs) Um, But I guess my stock standard bio is like, a Tongatem is a South Sudanese artist living in Australia whose work dabbles in her cultural identity <laughs> and how it feels to be who she is in the time and space she is right now. <laughs> I think it's great. I think that's very good. Because it's what? broad. Exactly. It is broad. So what's like your actual bio? <laughs> I guess that also varies because I do so much, so many different things. But... um. I would say that I am a radical black womanist artist who makes works that explore how the world is not here for me and how I can either talk about it or pave my own ways by any means necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Quoting Brother Malcolm. (laughs) So being a black African artist in Australia, mm-hmm. what does it mean to survive and thrive? I guess um, uh, the main thing is being, I think we need to be ruthless to survive as black African artists, especially as women and queer people and all of that in Australia. We need to be a bit ruthless because white Australia doesn't stop its ruthlessness in not making spaces for us. So we have to be incredibly ruthless. And that's really difficult. So another thing that is required is, like, energy. And that energy often comes from, like, actual genuine solidarity and community and support because it's hard. Like, the the environment that we live in wants us to kind of not succeed in our field as artists, as, like, black African women and all of that. Um so it does it takes energy it takes ruthlessness it takes like kind of knowing what it is you do and don't want to do and not questioning where you stand morally politically and all of that and being okay with the fact that most people think that what you do is not okay um i don't know it just takes guts mm, i think maybe yeah. but that being said um 
for me, I would say it's not that difficult because there are a lot of people that have sort of paved a lot of paths for me um, in, like, the African community, in, uh, like, the queer community and, like, lots of different people who in the past have done things so that I can now get away with the things that I do and that's something that I think is important for me to acknowledge. So you study art at the university, the university of... <laughs> the only one. The one university, um, which of course is interesting because you've done art, you've produced art longer than you've studied at university. Yeah. Right? So what's that like? Studying fine art. Oh, it is... Oh, like I'll start with the good things. It's really, really great because I have like resources that I would not otherwise have access to. Like I can borrow equipment that is incredibly expensive for free and I can kind of, you know, like I have access to a lot of um, spaces as well because I'm an art student and that kind of trumps everything else of spaces that I'm allowed to be or that I have access to, equipment that I have access to, um, literature that I have access to that's relevant to me and lots of little things like that is really great. But practically it's really fucking tough. I mean, excuse my language. Um, Just in terms of like it is academia, it is like an institution that is for a very specific kind of person which I am not. Like we know, we all know that academia is inherently racist and sexist and all of that. Um, And that shows a lot in art because art history is so much those things and also prides itself on being those things. And there's often this narrative of like, what what we're talking about is pride in like, you know, how we've come to where we are as artists, as contemporary artists, not not pride in where we've come from and in the exclusiveness of art or whatever, but that's all, like, it is a pride in, like, the fact that it is exclusive and inaccessible and there's, like, a I feel like a lot of contemporary art theory and, you know, dialogue or whatever is kind of just about congratulating um, the people that are in this little club for maintaining that and often when you see like diversity in art or people talking about diversity in art it's really I find it really offensive because a lot of the time what will happen I think is that and this is like white art institutions like people of colour in art and you know sometimes women in art as well are doing really awesome shit like when they are in control of that they're doing really great things but when white people white men are in control of like of the art scene or of whatever is going on, um, that's when there's issues. That's when there's a lot of trouble. And, like, they will um, introduce, you know, people of colour or women or queer people or people that encompass all of that just to, you know, to save face, but also because it's, like, subversive and it's, like, look at this person who is making art that's actually not very good and it's not right and it doesn't fit our narrative. That makes us as the curators or as the gallery owners or whatever look very interesting because we're doing this, like, it's, like, you know, outsider art or whatever. Um, Like, you know, how all those fashion labels last year were using, like, those plastic bags, those big, like, laundry bags, I don't know what they're called, not because they like liked the aesthetic of it, like they've been doing patterns like that for ages, but because it's like, look at this, you know, filthy thing that we're bringing into a different context. Isn't that great of us? Look how interesting we are, how postmodern. Um, 
I don't know if that answers the question, but like being in an art institution is very limited. It's very limiting, um, and it's very tough in terms of like having the energy to fight against a lot of the things that you're sort of being told to buy into and believe in whilst also kind of like wanting to exist in that world or like making that conscious decision of like, okay, I know this world is not for me and it's going to be difficult, but I've chosen to be in this world and I'm going to do my best. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about self-representation and a lot of your art kind of speaks to that. When was the light bulb moment when you were like, oh, I exist and I believe that I deserve to exist. When did that happen for you and what was that kind of moment or progression like? Oh, that is a really nice question. (laughs) Um, I definitely would say that it was a progression for sure and I would say that a lot of it came through like literature that I was reading when I was in high school and seeing myself or what or like elements of myself and my physical body and the way that I thought and how I felt I fit or did not fit into the world that I lived in, like seeing that represented in like, I don't know, reading Beloved when I was like, I don't know, 13 or 14. And that was one of the first times that I'd ever seen um, or heard of like, you know, black women and their bodies and their physicality and their struggles being talked about openly and like in detail and it's like I don't know like before that moment I hadn't realized that black people or black women specifically were kind of just an aside in literature and in art and whatever like we were just kind of you know a whisper in the wind and I just sort of was like oh that's just how it is um but yeah reading a lot of this like um African-American literature that talked openly about people like me or people that I related to because it was written by people like me or people that I related to um and when I saw that we're actually allowed to do that like I'm allowed to in school if I want to write a story about how I brush my hair in the morning or you know if I wanted to write a story about like I don't know like anything that had to do with me specifically in my individual and unique experience that was different to the white kids in my class like I'm actually allowed to do that Um, yeah, so it definitely started with, like, being exposed to literature that wasn't written by white people. And then from there being like, oh, I give myself permission to do this. (laughs) And that, I don't know if that translates, but, like, that was a really, really, really big moment for me. And that started, I guess, my progression into giving myself permission to do all kinds of things and constantly like allowing myself to say yes you can do this and you're allowed to women's on the line women on the line women on the line thinking about the ways in which i came into like myself or whatever um it makes me realize how much like it was it's it's not just that the world isn't or this world isn't for us this community this environment or whatever is not built for us but it's like actively seeks to kind of like diminish us and like make us as small and as non-existent as possible like actively because there's no way a child would just fabricate this idea that like I'm not allowed to talk about myself like you don't just come up with that it's I don't know. It's intense, but I'm glad that 
I'm beyond that. <laughs> I'm glad it happened. It's yes. good. It's good that it happened. It, it is good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So your most, maybe not your most recent, but quite recently, some photos that you took <clears throat> semi went viral. Like a little bit. Almost semi definitely did. Um. <laughs> describe these pieces, but also like. Why do you think they were, like, particularly popular? Basically, I wanted to recreate not even, like, a modern or a relevant or anything like that, um, but I just wanted to recreate, like, um, like post-colonial African photo studio shoots, like, you know, Malik Sidibe kind of stuff, um, because I think it's really beautiful and because I think that the interesting thing that happens when, like, colonised people kind of take some of the symbology maybe or like elements of or things that the colonizers use in their art or in their life or whatever and completely flip it and make it their own and I think that that's a really amazing thing to do and it's really interesting and really specific um anyway so I took these photos and so it was mostly like you know studio shots of my beautiful black friends um with like lots of uh, like kente cloth and wax print materials and all kinds of things and like flowers and like just really really intricately set up um, photographs of people looking really beautiful looking really them um, and I don't know I think part of the reason maybe why people really liked them is because visually they're very interesting to look at like there's lots of colors going on there's lots of patterns and it kind of like you can't not look at it whether you like it or not because there's so much going on. Um, and I think that the reason that people liked it was, like, I... Because I read through some of the comments that people who were posting and sharing them on, like, Twitter and on Tumblr and stuff, like, I, you know, you kind of want to read what people are saying about your babies. So I was reading through and a lot of people were, like, just seeing themselves reflected in those images. That's the biggest thing that came through. I even got, like, this is so weird, but I got, like, a bunch of emails from people. Like, I got emails from people wanting to, like, work on projects, which I thought was really great, and that's what I was hoping would happen by, like, putting my email address public. But I also got, like, a bunch of emails from people who were, like this is really beautiful and I'm from this place in the world and my people were colonised and we do, we like there's something in there that is relevant to me and I don't see that very often and it just made me really happy. Um, and after the interview on um, ID magazine was shared as well, I got a bunch of emails from people who were like, this thing that you talk about of like the space between spaces and being like a third culture kid and having like, an in-between identity that's neither this nor that. Like, people really, really relating to that, um, which I thought was really cool because I thought that I was, like... I don't know. Like, I think even though now I'm more aware of who I am and where I fit into society, I still feel like I'm super-duper unique and nobody will, like, relate because, you know... Because I'm not reflected in the media, in the world and whatever. And because, like, you know whatever, 18, 17 years or whatever of life being told that, that you're unique and not a good way, not in a positive way, like that you're different and that you're other and nobody will understand you and you don't talk about yourself because no one's going to get that. Um, so it was still really like shocking for me to hear people say like, whoa, I totally related to your experience and like I had a similar experience and I was this and that. And um, I don't know, I think that people really were able to project themselves and their experience onto, like, those images. And 
That's great. <laughs> on community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Go to womenonthelion.org.au to download this week's program. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. I think it's like this whole thing of um, photography as documentation and documentation as like um, like a precious thing because like for my family as well, like most of the things that they have from before the war, it's just photographs. And like my mum has like maybe three photographs, which is a lot and they're very special to her. Um, and it's like, it's, it's not even like a reminder of the times before or something. It's just, I don't know. I think it's like this transient thing that like kind of just exists outside of the world where there is war and outside of the world where we're, you know, facing a lot of things. And like being able to take control of your image is who you are. And it's like this very special, beautiful thing that yeah. we take for granted now. Okay, so I always ask this question, especially when I speak to women of colour. Um, it's And I think it's important because there is a real assumption that when you identify as like radical or if you if your politics are relatively radical or whatever it may be that feminism is just a given mm. um and they know there's a lot of women of color who actually have experienced a lot of issues and there's been quite a bit of tension with feminism mm-hmm. i don't know i guess it's not even a complex thing like i i when i first like cuz when you emailed me some of the themes or whatever you'd be talking about and then that feminist one came up I was like okay cool like that's a complex one how do I like um unpack it or whatever but it's not really that complicated because basically like white feminism is a thing that exists and it's like um often like when people talk about feminism what they're talking about is white feminism and that's a a space that doesn't necessarily ever really take into consideration women of colour or just anyone who's not, like, a white feminist or, like, a cis-straight white feminist, you know? Um, Or cis-straight white woman, full stop. I'm speaking with visual artist Atong Atem about feminism and her reasoning behind identifying as a womanist. So, I don't know, like, I find that, like, I try to get into those spaces because I feel like I want to be nice and, you know, when people do the wrong thing and they say things that are racist or dismissive of women of colour or, like, transphobic, I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, like, uh, we're all women and we're all in this together and, like, what you did was wrong and here it is. But, like, I've kind of in the last couple of years just concluded that those spaces are not for me and I don't need to put myself into those spaces because there are other spaces for women of colour that are for me, that are for, you know, queer women of colour, that are for people that are otherwise disenfranchised even by, like, the feminist movement. Um, so my my stand, like, I love the term womanist because of its history and its context and I like to identify as a womanist because that speaks to me and that speaks about me. So why would I need white feminism? So when is your exhibition? Because it needs to happen, like, yesterday. What What like, is your situation? My situation is that I need to... I just need to, like, apply for grants and things and do all of that, like, technical, non-fun art stuff, which is great. You know, I have access to it and I can do that and I can blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it's like... 
someone just like come to me and and do this and then take me and then let's let's be done with it um but I'm working on some cool stuff and have been in contact with some people around that aren't in Australian per se about putting on stuff and like looking into doing a show um like summer next year potentially in Brooklyn which would be really cool um and just making it work making it work trying to get through like the last year of arts the last semester of art school gonna get that grad show happening um I guess I'm also thinking a lot about who I am presenting to the world or like what I'm presenting to the world and like also thinking about the fact that oh okay people are paying attention some people are paying attention to who I am and what I'm doing okay I have to like think about that now whereas in the past it's like let me just post like you know selfies in a onesie and like whatever and that's who I am and that's what I'm putting out to the world because the world isn't listening to me um but now that like some people are listening and paying attention I'm trying to like not necessarily curate what I'm putting out into the world but like think about how I can take advantage of that, take advantage of of the fact that people are listening, some people are listening, um, and do something with it. Because I'm constantly talking about the the, the fact that, you know, spaces aren't here for me and that, you know, I don't have a voice and all of this and like, okay, cool, I've got a little bit of a voice now. Do I want to make it louder or do I want to just say something really specific and let people have it? Yeah. It goes back to the very first thing that we spoke about, about being ruthless. Yeah. And by you, if, yeah, it's, there is a lot of, and that's a really great way to put it because when you live in a society that has been nothing but ruthless, the only way to get what you're going to get is to work the same way that they work. And that is very, very ruthless. Mm -hmm. Like, and yeah, I hear yeah, Definitely. so I, I'm working on being ruthless, especially with this grad show, <laughs> being like in, like in an academic institution and being ruthless about my politics and my beliefs is going to be interesting because, I don't know, part of me is like, I just want to get by, I just want to like pass and like whatever and just be done with it and then like move on with my life. But another part of me is like, I'm taking advantage of this spot that I have and I'm going to be ruthless like and I'm going to make people squirm. They literally have to listen. Like there is nothing, like they, they have to be listening. <laughs> but at the same time, like I feel like, um, I don't know, it's like what I have to say as an artist, as a human being existing in this space and being aware of who I am or whatever is not even that radical. Like I find it really funny that like I don't even know when I started saying that my politics or my whatever was radical because it's radical by the standards of the people who don't want me to think or say the things that I think and say but like actually like within the community like the black community the queer community all these different like spaces that I occupy intentionally like my politics are not radical at all at all like they're quite like chill (laughs) um so it's funny to me that like that people are so threatened by the things that I want to say and the things that I have to say when it's like, you don't, like, if that's threatening you, you don't even know what real radicalism is. And it kind of, like, I don't know, makes me kind of more interested in getting deeper into my ideas and beliefs. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Like, I just I just find it so funny that what I think is considered radical and what I think and what I stand for is that, like, I exist, people like me exist, and we are valid 
undeserved like, space. Your existence, like you, without you even saying anything, like you going to class and like sitting down and handing in your that's inherently radical. There's Absolutely. no denying the fact that yeah, that's mm. inherently radical. There's no doubt. I think there is a power in like claiming that and acknowledging that and feeling that like that's a thing that you have that you can. That's a little bit of power that you have that you can use. Like I acknowledge that me being a not even like a confident black woman or anything, but like me just being who I am and existing and kind of like not apologising for existing, like that's a radical thing. And that means that I can just wake up in the morning and do my day-to-day things and like, you know, be out in the world and exist as myself and come back home and I know that I've done something political and I've bec- I've been an activist just by existing. Like part of me is like, isn't that a shame that I, like my body is politicised and I have no control over that? But at the same time, like I can, I can take that and I can use that and I have power because of that and acknowledging that. If you want to get in contact with Atong and check out her work, jump on atongatem.tumblr.com. I'll post the link on the podcast page as well. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenontheline at hotmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Litigd. And the feature song for today's episode was chosen by a tong and called Front to Back by Okoko. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line. I'm Originald, and I hope you can tune in again next time. Boy, I've been all savage, fuck to panga. Strange bay waves from the days of Zanga. Orange tanga manga with a red man fingers. Meet a pink ranger. Danger, danger, it's the game changers. Don't state the name, bruh. Everybody riding, boy, say it for your G. On the corner, sipping my Corona. Look, it's sexy because I'm trying to be my guy.